The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. I thought for the next three weeks today included, I'd just share or address this, I think, obvious question, you know, when you think about that there is this space here in Minneapolis and our online space and our retreat space out in western Wisconsin. And of course, Common Ground Meditation Center is one of many Buddhist meditation centers around. It kind of begs the question, like, what's the big deal about mindful awareness? Why do people gather on Sunday morning to cultivate or to recognize awareness, to keep it in mind? What's the big deal about that? And of course, it's up to each of us to check that out. It doesn't really matter so much what I say or somebody else says or what you've read. What really matters, because whatever it is, whatever those words, you know, mindful awareness, wisdom and awareness, being present, whatever those words point to, we have to check that out for ourselves. It's not about being devoted to the idea of awareness, That doesn't really get us pretty far. But to check it out, that's what it's about. That's why, you know, when you hang out at a place like Common Ground long enough, you hear the word practice a lot. It can seem a little strange. Like, what's all this about practice? (laughs) What do you mean, practice? Well, and then we wrongly presume that practice means doing something with my attention, like focusing my attention over here or putting it over there never over there, something like that. Because that sort of lends itself to our established ideas, you know, that I'm the conductor, I'm directing the show here, and I'm now, because I'm interested in Buddhist awareness practice, I'm going to direct my awareness. But the more we study our own minds, we realize that awareness isn't so much something you or I do. Are you doing awareness right now? Like, one way you could answer that question, like, can you stop doing awareness right now? Because if you were doing it, you could stop doing it. Can anybody stop it? No. We don't turn it on, we don't turn it off. It is something that we can recognize. Or not. Usually, through our day, we don't recognize this normal natural capacity we all have to be awake, to be aware, to be present. We're oblivious. And uh, Gil Fronstel, a wonderful teacher and scholar, Buddhist scholar, he says it's similar to faith. Like, okay, everybody, do faith. (laughs) We don't do faith or confidence. We, We can remember it, we can recognize it when there's faith or confidence, but it isn't something you do. It's something you recognize. And it's the same thing with what we mean by awareness, mindful awareness, being present, being open to the way it is. We can either remember to recognize it, which is the practice, by the way, right? If someone asks, so what is that practice you do when you meditate? And you can say, I'm practicing remembering to recognize present moment awareness. I'm practicing, I'm doing whatever I can do 
to keep it in mind, to keep this present moment awareness in mind. Because that's one of the ways it gets developed or strengthened is by our remembering it, our keeping it in mind. That's how we, in a sense, we grease that capacity, that tendency to be awake, to be aware by remembering it, keeping it in mind. And when we're distracted, when we're lost in thoughts, absorbed in this and that, then we're not developing awareness. We're not developing mindful awareness. We're developing, in a sense, we're developing disconnection and distraction and being absorbed, being lost in thought. And we have minds like we have because mostly we've been cultivating being lost in thought. So that's why it's the easiest thing in the world. And and one of the things we notice when we do develop mindful awareness is how many different off-ramps into distraction there are, moment by moment by moment. There's so many things we have, well, sense the tendency, oh, I, I want to think about that. I want to problem-solve that. I want to fantasize about that. I want to worry about that. I want to compare this to that. So it's like all these little bubbles that the mind wants to, in a sense, get lost in or get absorbed in. And when our mind is absorbed in one of these little mental activities, let's call it, then the mind isn't aware, it isn't remembering that this is being known. Because that's what it means to be mindfully aware. It's that recognition that this is being known. And in Buddhism, this is the beginning of wisdom, that deeper wisdom, this is being known. Because it sets in motion a kind of learning, spiritual learning that we call insight, where we learn or see experience about our own mind, heart, experience, what we hadn't seen before. We have insight, a deepening of learning, a deepening of understanding. So the beginning of wisdom or wise view is remembering that this is being known because it's it's kind of a stark alternative to being lost in thought. And initially, you'll notice the mind's habit to dismiss it. Like I said at the beginning of the talk, well, what's the big idea about being aware that it's like this now? Now, Can you even, for a moment, have that sense? Oh, yeah, sitting here, whether you're at home, online, or here in the room, it's like this now. Or we can have that reflective awareness. Oh yeah, the experience of the body sitting here is like this. Sensations are like this. Or the particular mood or attitude that's here now, that's like this. Now we're using the different aspects or objects of the present moment to remember that it's being known. That's the key. It's not about the particulars of what's happening in the moment, but that they're being known. That's a more honest, a more real, 
a more wise, a more ultimately stable place from which to live our life, that it's being known. And it's like, uh, you know, just to be a little provocative, it's like we're not really real, we're not really human, we're kind of, you know, nature on autopilot whenever we lose present moment awareness. It's just habit energies driving the show without that reflective awareness that it's like this, that it that this is what's unfolding. And I think I've mentioned not too long ago that in Buddhist practice, in this tradition, uh, our experience that we, we kind of get, and you can check this out for yourself, we don't really become a moral being. Like we can't really actually care about our own well-being and the well-being of others unless we have that capacity to be aware that it's like this. Because it's in this space, like when we, we really are here, the mind is recognizing, remembering to recognize this capacity. Oh yeah, this is being known. This is being felt. It's in that space of present moment awareness that wisdom, we could say, comprehends the way I'm relating, the way the mind is showing up, the habit energies through which I'm interacting and seeing and perceiving whether they're wholesome or not, whether they're helpful or not. Right? So that capacity we have to discern whether I'm being skillful or not depends on being present. Because that sense, that discerning sense, oh, this isn't helping, or this feels like a good way to be, to be relating right now, that requires not me doing something, but me, in a sense, observing or opening, oh, this is what's getting set in motion. These are the seeds that are getting planted in my heart. Oh, wholesome, or oh, not so wholesome, right? That's why so much of the time we don't, necessarily observe it in ourselves because that's a little harder but we do observe in other people like oh that person's digging the hole deeper you know they're just they're going to get what they're sowing right now we can sense that in other people don't we it's like oh yeah they're not being skillful but that can't be good that's not going to really turn out well for them or for anybody around them right we see it globally in terms of what's going on, how violence begets but violence. We see it internally, we see it in our families, we see it in our communities. And what allows that is that clarity minus any agenda. Right? Just seeing things as they are. That's what present moment awareness provides, that being open and that recognition, okay, all of this activity of body and mind is being felt and known, to some degree at least, and it's being known as what? It's being known as something being felt and known. That's the no agenda. We're not trying to figure out how to be skillful or, 
avoid being unskillful, we're putting all of the emphasis in that intimacy, that presence. That's what really makes the difference. In this practice, you know, it really leads to freedom with what is being known. Freedom with this. Being skillful and free, this capacity to be more and more skillful and more and more free with whatever's being felt or known, whatever is here being felt and known. And isn't that what we want? <laughs> I mean, what do we really aspire to in our lives? That's a relevant question for all of us. What do we want? What is a worthy... This is an actual question for all of us to reflect on. What is a worthy aspiration or goal or whatever you want to call it in our lives? Do we just want an easy ride until we die? I mean, that's better than wanting an uneasy ride until we die. But is that all we can aspire to? Is there a way in our lives, in our particular locations, you know, because we have different lived experiences, different identities, backgrounds, different kinds of sensitivities because of all of that lived experience that we have. Can we aspire to actually, with all the exposure, unavoidable exposure that comes with being human, having a body and a mind, can we be free, unburdened, even with the unavoidable exposure of being human, can we be free, unburdened, and skillful, like contributing to our own well-being and the well-being of others, and not really seeing a difference. Like sometimes we, I think wrongly, as we perceive our situation, like, well, I can live for my well-being, or I can live for the well-being of others. As one teacher says, it, that might, if we think that way, it may be because we don't understand what well-being is. Because if we think like as a pack rat, not to give rats a bad name, but you know, that idea of like hoarding all the goodness, all the material wealth for myself. If we think that really leads to my well-being, well, you probably haven't tried it out. We're too busy trying to have all that to actually check out whether that leads to well-being. Like, how's that working for me? And if that's not you, you could just ask people who are doing that. How's it working for you? You know, trying to have more, trying to lock in your well-being, your wealth, your health, you know, all the good things, lock them away, build a big wall around so nobody can take it away from you, no person, no condition, no circumstance. You know, how's that going to work? <laughs> it doesn't work. I mean, thank God for literature and movies, because part part of the story they tell is this universal story of people, you know, trying to get it all so that they'd be happy once and for all forever, and how that doesn't work. You know, it's called tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> and it happens over and over again. You know, we're all, and we none of this, I'm guessing, had completely given up on that project. 
But even as, you know, we're kind of hedging our bets and, you know, I just bought a big box of toilet paper. And and these little, I know it's silly, but these little things, every time I go in the basement, I see that big box and I know I don't have to buy toilet paper for a long time. I feel good. It's like, it's like I beat I beat the survival system. I'm I'm prepared, you know. And every time we do something with the house, that sort of makes it a little bit more durable. And we finally caught this mouse. We thought it was a chipmunk, but it turned out to be a mouse in the basement. Felt so proud. We didn't kill it, you know. We brought it to the river and let it go. But if I don't, I'm sure that it's gonna one will come back probably. But it just feels like okay, we have a house that's just a cat. My partner, myself, just the way it's supposed to be. No intruders, no freeloaders, you know, just uh, people who belong. You know, none of those other elements. And in all these little ways, and then there are these existential threats, like one of our windows got cracked. Oh, you know, what about the winter? You know, and just little things like that. And then it just, it's same with our group of friends, like, the right group of friends and teasing out the wrong group, wrong individuals in that group of friends and like, should you be in the in-group or not? And and then our health, what supplements do I want to keep close to keep this health that I have, maintain the health that I have, prevent all of those illnesses? doesn't make us happy. I'm not saying we're going to give up on all of that, but it's not a cause for happiness. Mostly, having to take care of the body, having to take care of our social needs, the real, it doesn't really work to neglect our bodily, social, emotional needs, right? But thinking that they're going to make me happy also doesn't work. So we pursue them without wrongly imagining they're going to make us happy. So that brings us back to that question about, well, what is our aspiration? And the thing about awareness practice, right, we're practicing remembering to recognize it. We're not practicing to do awareness, but to recognize it. The thing about it that when we remember it is we want to discern that flavor of freedom. Being free with what's being known. And that's something we can check out for ourselves. So when we're sitting, like at home, maybe you have a morning sitting practice, and you sit for 30 minutes, let's say, find a quiet place in your home, and pets are in the other room, or whatever you have to do, set a timer, keep it far away so you're not going to keep checking on it. You choose a way to sit that works with your body as it actually is not the idea of your body, but actually what your body can do comfortably for that amount of time where you're sitting in a way that encourages wakefulness, but not neglecting comfort. And you got the instructions that you remember, okay, I'm remembering to recognize the present moment, keeping the present moment in mind, keeping the mind that's sensitive, keeping that in mind. The mind is naturally sensitive, like naturally conscious. So we're 
not forgetting that sensitive conscious mind. And it's the mind that feels the body. It's the mind that knows emotions, feels emotions. And if you don't like the word mind, you can say it's the sensitivity that senses. Right? That's what we're keeping in mind. There is sensitivity. In Buddhism, we call it the heart, the mind. <coughs> the Pali word is chitta. We're keeping chitta in mind, the knowing, the sensitivity, the feeling. We're keeping that in mind. And that's the present moment, because that's where sensitivity senses. It only senses in the present moment. And when we're distracted, we're not aware that the mind is knowing, that the mind is sensitive, or the heart is sensitive. We, we're forgetful. That means we're lost. So the mind constructed some story, like, what am I going to have for lunch? And then gets lost. And being lost means that there's not an awareness that this is just a thought being known. Or this is just the feelings I have thinking about my lunch being felt. When we're not aware of that, that means we're lost in that thought. Which, honestly, right, that's most of the time. Most of the time, like if we thought about the last number of hours we were awake... How many of those moments was there that awareness, that remembering, oh, it's like this. This is what's going on. This is what's being felt. This is what the mind is doing or knowing. And you can either use some of that language or not, right? It's not about you saying to yourself, this is what's being known, unless those words help you keep present moment awareness in mind. Keep recognizing it. And then when you get moments of present moment awareness, you can ask yourself, like, does this align with your aspiration to be, you know, to experience freedom, release, with whatever it is that's being known or felt? So is it changing how it is that mind that's knowing, consciousness that's sensitive, is it changing that experience? Because what's ha what happens alongside the knowing, just the consciousness, the sensitivity, is what we might just generally call preference, liking and disliking. And the identification with that liking and disliking, and then all the struggles internal, mostly unconscious struggles, because something, the mind is knowing something, sensitive, conscious of something, and because of the particulars of whatever it's knowing, conscious of, it has liking or disliking, and the reactivity that goes with it, and then we get the whole pattern, you know, diverse, because it's different, different patterns, of reactivity. And this is what we call normal, ordinary states of mind. You know, this conflict, this never-ending struggle to get what we want, get away from what we don't want. That's why, like, our bodies were always kind of moving. 
And we're doing it internally in terms of our thoughts. Like, oh, no, I don't want to think about that. Oh, yeah, that's, I'll go there. I'll think about that. I'll keep that mental image in mind. You know, we're kind of like just gravitating towards what's pleasurable and moving away from what's unpleasant endlessly without that awareness that it's like this. And when there's an awareness that it's like this, then it will be wisely discerned as, this is stressful. This way of relating to consciousness, to what the mind is conscious of, what the mind is sensitive to, what the mind, heart is feeling, this way of relating is stressful. And with awareness, like a mirror that just reflects, there is that, if we're doing, if we're recognizing this capacity for awareness, we're recognizing freedom with what's being known. Like just some simple experience, you know, I often do this, my teacher Sayada Uteshini would do it, just say, touch your thigh, or just have your hand touch something, please, you can do that now, it's probably already touching something, but now we're going to keep that in mind, and you see, it's not about the warmth of the touch, or the smoothness of what you're touching, or the sense of weight, but it's really about the way of relating to that contact, that pressure, that it's being known, neither for nor against it. Awareness, wisdom and awareness, it has a capacity to be profoundly simple. This is being known touching, the hand touching, whatever it's touching is being felt, being known. And when we really, we're just using this experience as a subset of the totality of the present moment, you get that, right? So I'm not saying this is the whole experience, but we're just using this subset of touching and realizing that when we really give our heart to the knowing that this is being known. There's no problem there. There's no doubt. There's no need for push and pull, like struggle. We get a sense of what is meant by equanimity or being with things as they are and the peace that comes with that profound acceptance. Touching is being known. Now you might think, well, yeah, of course, because touching is not, you know, it's not really difficult. I can be with touching, but I can't be with the news, or I can't be with, you know, my neighbor who plays loud music, or I can't be with this person at work, or I can't be with my, the ache I have in my knee or the, whatever it is, hemorrhoids. These things that can be really afflictive, right, in our, in our human existence. But you know, we haven't actually tried. We haven't checked it out. One of the reasons for setting your timer when you sit and, you know, build up. Don't set your timer for an amount of time that you're not comfortable sitting, but over time, Naturally, 
when you have time, let it be a little longer. So you get this uh, experience where <clears throat> there's a very strong impulse like, I got to go, you know, this is not okay. I don't want to feel my bodily sensations or I don't want to feel <clears throat> this restlessness. It feels, it can, <clears throat> excuse me, feel like it's going to kill me if I just stay here, relaxed, alert, and open. Have you had that experience? It's like, almost like a, a more subtle version of a panic attack when we're sitting. Like uh, Pema Chodron, some of you know, a really powerful uh, teacher who's written a number of books. Uh, she teaches in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. She's a Westerner, uh, but a, a really great teacher. But she has this wonderful one-off line, something like, never underestimate the desire to bolt when you're sitting. Never underestimate it, because it can feel so strong. You can, like, two seconds earlier, or a minute earlier, you could have felt a lot of confidence, like, this sit's going well, got this, cruising, you know, and then things will shift, and it's like, I cannot be with this mind state, or this wormy emotion, or this pain in my back. If I'm here for one more second, I'm going to die. And with practice, it's like, it's not like we build up this wall of tension around that experience, like sort of meeting tension with tension. It's actually we, just the opposite. We meet that strong impulse to bolt with that soft, open, inclusive presence. Oh, it's like this. This is the feeling that's being felt. These are the thoughts that are arising and being known. These are the sensations as they actually are in the body. It's like this. It, it, are, <clears throat> it is these different interacting experiences that are being known. Now the question is, not that you're trying to make yourself free with the experience, that when you're recognizing awareness, is there freedom with the experience that's being known? Is there more freedom naturally there when you realize this is being known? That's what you want to check out. So the next time you have a painful attitude or mood, you're just in a funk for whatever reason, then just bring some Remember to recognize the awareness. Oh yeah, the mood's like this. And then you'll notice, like, is there more space, more freedom? Given that there is this mood, is there now more space and freedom with the mood? Because it's been recognized as something being known. Or this is going on in my life. Or this is going on in the world but we're seeing it, opening to it with that wisdom and awareness. Remember, the initial part of wisdom is is this understanding that every moment can be reduced, in a sense, to this is being felt, this is being known. So some beautiful moment. Think about something really nice that happened to you recently. And just now in hindsight, you can recognize, oh yeah, that was just that experience being felt, being known. 
not more, not less. Whatever it was, it was just in that moment that experience that was being known. And then you can think of a really terrible, difficult time you had recently. And just remember, oh yeah, like in hindsight, we're using our memory, but oh yeah, that doubt or that shame or whatever you experience in that difficult moment, that was just what it was. It was those different flavors being felt and known. Yeah, very unpleasant. But it was that unpleasantness being known. There's freedom there. And it's really important that we all get curious enough. Because without sensing the freedom, the release, in a moment of recognizing awareness, we're not really going to develop this habit. Because it's against the grain. It's not what our society encourages us to cultivate. right? Generally, we're encouraged to be distracted, to get absorbed in different things, different gadgets, different activities, different fixed views, opinions, right? This divisive time that we're living in. That's what, like all these different bubbles, you know, we have an array of different things we can get absorbed in. And when that doesn't work, you know, we go online and we find a bubble to get absorbed in, whether it's shopping or some divisive commentary that we're reading or some fantasy that we're, you know, video game that we're playing. But we'll find something to absorb in, which is just the opposite of supporting that, oh yeah, this is being known. Try doing a video game or online shopping and sustaining awareness. It's like this now. Feels like this now. Is like this now. So many bad habits start to fall away when we sustain present moment awareness. Not because we're being a goody two-shoes and trying to get rid of those bad habits. They just are naturally shed with awareness. And again, this is something we can check out for ourselves. Don't start with your most addictive pattern. Just start with the little ordinary addictive things in your life and just resolve, like right now, don't wait. Resolve right now in your mind, in your heart. Oh yeah, what's the cost? What would be the, what, if any, possible harm could come from me resolving to be present when I do X, Y, or Z, you know, whatever it is. Maybe your habit is binge eating when you have a painful emotion or watching TV or, you know, whatever it is that we all do, you know, our particular version of, of avoiding you know, what's unpleasant, difficult in our lives. And not we're not judging, and we're not trying to fix. We're just saying, I'm really going to resolve to be awake. I'm, I'm resolving to remember, to recognize that this experience is being known when I'm doing whatever I'm doing, like especially this particular pattern in my life. Oh, yeah. It's like this now. It feels like this now. And it's like we're bringing in a light in a place that was dark. And there's a capacity now for wisdom to recognize what kinds of seeds are being planted. When I'm relating or acting, behaving in this way, 
what's getting set in motion. Now, would we do a lot of what we do if we really clearly felt what was getting set in motion when we're doing it? No, when we're doing something self-destructive or even destructive for our wider communities, we wouldn't do it if we really were clearly aware of what that was setting in motion. We wouldn't be, for example, in this crisis with climate if we could clearly feel, see, what was getting set in motion. We would collectively make different choices. Nobody consciously does things that cause harm to themselves and others. We do it when our mind is locked in one of those bubbles and we're not aware, we're not feeling what it feels like to be seeing and acting and responding in this way. And when we are, when there is that non-judging presence, clarity, then different choices start being made. Without you or me having to have a grand plan about how we're going to fix our lives. You just see. And then when you talk to people who've been doing their best to cultivate awareness, that's what they say. It's like, I don't, I don't get it, but life is working better. I'm a better person. I catch myself responding in better ways, more creative, more nimble, more useful ways, saying, refraining, being a better person without a plan, you know, or without trying to be a better person. I'm trying to remember to recognize, oh yeah, it's like this. That's what we're doing. And that, in a way, that's in a very simple, simplistic way, is the insight that really distinguishes the Buddha as a spiritual teacher. He really, when you look at these, his 45 years of teaching way back, 2,600 years ago, it really revolved around this soft power of present moment awareness and really strengthening that by remembering it keep remembering it. And it's, we have to understand it's the easiest thing to forget. Because <laughs> it doesn't seem in any given moment to add much. In a way, initially it makes us feel a little self-conscious when we're aware that it's like this. Like when we're being a brat and gossiping with a friend, and then all of a sudden, because we've been cultivating it in our formal sitting practice, all of a sudden we're aware. It's just like, now there's a very clear light. And it's like this non-judging, wise presence is there watching us being a brat about a friend who's not there, that we're gossiping about. Right? We don't want that awareness. We want to just kind of, in a weird way, we are enjoying being a brat you know, whatever, however we might characterize our behavior. So we're, we're changing it up. It's like we're cultivating this value of being present above all other values. It will make us a better parent, a better lover, a better friend, a better whatever. So instead of trying to be the perfect person, we could just cultivate, have this value of being present 
and really understand how do we strengthen that value? Well, we remember it. We keep it in mind. Oh, yeah, I value being present. And then the key, once you remember that you value being present, realizing, well, this moment is the only moment I can be present with. Right? This moment, like right now. And it, we don't need a different posture. Like what does it take right now for us to recognize that this is being known? See, it's just that, it's just that scene of what is subtle. Well, yeah, it is being known, isn't it? It is being felt, this moment. You see, it's like a whole other dimension comes online whenever we actually remember to be awake. Oh, yeah, it's like this. And in Buddha, in Buddhist terms, it means we're being real, as opposed to being lost, which is where we are most of the time. It's the great tragedy. So I'll leave it here. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website www.commongroundmeditation.org